0: You're listening to audio from Mountain View Church, located in Murphy, North Carolina. If you'd like more information, you can find us at www.mtnvu.org or on Instagram and Facebook at Mountain View Church NC. Well, good morning. I'm really, really glad that you're here this morning uh, to worship with us. At Mountain View Church, I want to take care of a few things uh, before we dive into First John this morning. Piggybacking on what Greg said in the video, a couple of things about the Fall Festival that he didn't mention because they weren't uh, on his list of things to mention. Number one, when you come to the Fall Festival on Saturday, bring a lawn chair with you. You're going to want somewhere to sit and hang out and fellowship. Uh, so be sure to throw those in the car. Uh, second, um, we need you to sign up out there if you plan to bring or bake a cake or cupcakes for the cakewalk. We need 20 people to volunteer to do that. I think as of our count, uh, about the middle of the week, we had six folks. So I want to encourage you uh, to bake uh, a cake or two or ten. to bring to the Fall Festival. Um, and just to reiterate what Greg said, we are in the process of developing a prayer team, and you'll find kind of more information about the vision behind that on the back of your sermon notes. And so I, don't, I would encourage you to read what's on the back of those this morning. And if you are going to come to that interest meeting, we need you to sign up uh, today, again, on one of the iPads. We're going to be ordering lunch tomorrow. And so we need a final head count for that meeting today. And then finally, um, I want to offer a bit of a personal uh, pastoral exhortation uh, to our church today. Justin and I talked about this uh, earlier this week, and we both felt uh, that the time is right um, for me to offer this to you. You and I have been walking together now for about three years. And typically, in a pastoral life cycle with a church, the first three years are the honeymoon period. Well, we're past that now. We're entering year four together. And oftentimes, years four and five are some of the more difficult and challenging years for this reason. Because now, you know me for who I really am. Warts and all. I am your pastor and I am not perfect. You are my church and you are not perfect. So pastors and churches during years four and five have to learn to live together. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. If you have an issue with me, Come to me. Do not burden Justin with things that you need to talk to me about. He cannot change those things. And likewise, do not come to me with things that you need to talk to Justin about. We have a very clear directive in Scripture in Matthew chapter 18... For dealing with offenses within the church. And this is exactly what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've, been, you've gained your brother. But if he doesn't listen, take one or two others along, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to that small group, then you tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So there's this whole process that Jesus lays out for dealing with conflict in the church, and it's not dealt with by gossiping with one another and by taking issues to persons that those issues don't involve. So here's the best thing you can do. If someone comes to you and they have a complaint about either Justin or myself, as soon as it comes out of their mouth, say, hey, 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 let me stop you right there. Have you talked to Mike or Justin about this? If the answer is no, then you should say, well, I'm sorry, you need to go to them. I can't hear that. That breeds disunity in the church. We allow those things to fester. I want you to know you can come to me. I want you to feel the freedom to do that. The open-door policy is not just an open-door policy. It's a genuine invitation, okay? Thank you. All right. We're going to jump into the text of 1 John chapter 3 this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 24. And I'm very, very excited about this text this morning. I don't know about you all, but I'm my own worst critic, okay? And like most pastors, it happens just about every single Sunday. So I preach one sermon, and then I actually get a second opportunity, right? Which is fantastic. Which means, by the way, if you come to the first service, this is like the practice round. (laughs) Still, though, I can go home on Sunday afternoon and think, man... I wish I wouldn't have said that. I wish I would have said that. Man, why didn't I see this in the text? And so it's all of these ways that I tend to be very, very self-critical. You know, one of the main purposes of the book of 1 John is reassurance. And this entire passage this morning is precisely about that. 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle John writes, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him. Because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment. That we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in Him and He in them. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. Father, we ask this morning that you would uh, bless the very simple reading and hearing of your word. God, it is your voice that is the most important voice in this room. And God, I pray, God, I ask, I plead with you that as we now dive into and explore this text, that God, we would experience all over again the wonder, the beauty, and the power of the gospel. Lord, just a few verses earlier, John writes, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And Father, this isn't some intellectual knowledge only. John might as well have written, by this we know by experience what love is. That Christ laid down his life for us. In our text today, John writes, By this we know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. Namely, that God is greater than our self-condemning hearts. And God knows everything, which means, God, you love us in spite of ourselves. at the end of our passage, you write, By this we know that you abide in us by the very Spirit that you have given us that testifies to our own hearts that we are children of God. Oh God, take these words today and massage them into our hearts and lives that we might leave more confident in Christ, more confident in your love for us, and more confident that we are indeed your children through the Spirit that you've given us. God, we ask your blessing upon your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I said, uh, this text is essentially about reassurance, as is the entire book of 1 John. So notice right off the bat in verse 19 that John says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. Now, the initial question we have to ask ourselves is, is by what? By which thing will we know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him? And I want you to notice something in the text, okay? When when you and I read the words by this, we have an opportunity in the text to look backward or to look forward to determine what John's talking about. If we go backward Then we read in verse 18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. If we go backward and we say that that's the by this, then John is basically saying you and I can reassure our hearts that we are of the truth in God's presence by looking at our own lives and whether or not we love well. Understood? The other choice we have is to say that by this refers to what John is about to say. In other words, by this we shall know that we are of the truth. In other words, that we are people indwelt by the Holy Spirit who have trusted in Christ and who are faithful disciples. By this we will know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. So you and I have two choices. We can either look for reassurance that we are true followers of Christ by looking at our own lives and whether or not our lives line up with the cross-shaped love of Jesus, or we can look to the God who knows everything about us and yet loves us anyway. Now, I don't know about you, But when I look at myself, and I compare my own life with the life and the death of Jesus for me, I discover I am woefully inadequate. So I think John's pointing us not backward, but forward. John's pointing us to the fact that when you and I find ourselves in the holy presence of God, and our hearts condemn us because, frankly, you and I know that our lives don't measure up to the love of Christ. When our hearts condemn us, what does John say? He says, God is actually greater than our hearts, and God knows everything. Now, that's a counterintuitive kind of thing, right? Because the fact that God knows everything, initially, that's a scary thought. But John's not using it in that way. John's saying that the fact that God knows everything is a reassurance to our hearts because guess what? God loves you anyway. God knows everything about you and loves you anyway. So we need reassurance because our lives very often do not line up with the model of Christ's own cross-shaped life. And the fact that we are called to embody it as his people. Y'all, I've got so far to go. We've all got so far to go. So the question then is, how do we get reassurance? We get reassurance, first of all, by acknowledging that God is greater than our hearts. You see, the only solid ground available to me in the presence of God is God. The only solid ground of assurance for me in the presence of God is God himself. I cannot be assured that I belong to him by looking at my own track record. John's telling us something here important about how we stand before God confident of who we are in Him. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before Him. You and I, we don't often think about this, but our entire lives are lived before the presence of God. And so what John is asking us to imagine is like the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 6, standing in the presence of God and recognizing because of the remaining sin in us that we don't have a leg to stand on. And when our hearts condemn us because of how, false, how far short we fall, where are we going to go to assuage the guilt we feel? Sometimes we, we, try to, we try to put our sins and our spiritual resume on the scale. So we may say, well, I really struggle with this sin, but I serve on the worship team. Or the sin struggle is something I've not been able to come, overcome for a long time, but but I serve in kids' ministry. And so before the presence of God, we try to, we try to even out the scales, right? We try to, we try to manage our sin. Sometimes we, we try to compare ourselves to other people. Well, at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Sometimes we try to shift blame rather than taking responsibility for our own sin. We do what Adam and Eve did, we just pass it on down the line. And then sometimes we we try to manipulate God. Sometimes in God's presence knowing knowing that God wants to bring a particular sin issue into the light because the Holy Spirit's prompting us to do it. We we can ignore it. We can go we can actually We can actually praise God for for the purpose of manipulating God. Oh God, you're so good. God, you're so holy. God, you're so amazing. And the Holy Spirit's saying, Mike, we need to talk about this. No, no, Lord, we need to talk about you. No, no, we need to talk about this. Sometimes we can bring God down to our sides in his presence. Sometimes we can convince ourselves and convince others that a real sin issue in our lives isn't really an issue at all. That God doesn't care very much about it. You see, none of those pathways are the answer to the self-condemning heart within us. John says here that you and I will experience assurance before God when we stop trying to manage our sin, when we take our eyes off of ourselves and we put our gaze fully upon God and we find in God's presence when we come clean about our sin that he already knows about it and he loves us anyway. The one who is greater than our hearts if we are in Christ Jesus, doesn't condemn us. The one who is greater than our hearts, if we are in Christ Jesus, doesn't condemn us. Therefore, John says, we can actually speak reassurance to our condemning hearts when our hearts tell us because of our sin that we can't possibly be Christians. It's the same thing that Paul says in Romans chapter 8 beginning in verse 31. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who?" or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Shall your own self-condemning heart separate you from Christ? No. John says that when before the presence of God our hearts condemn us, that God is greater than, in our hearts, and God knows everything. The second source of reassurance in this text is found in verses 21 to 23. There the Apostle John writes, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Now, I want you to notice in the text, the turn from verse 20 to verse 21, John writes in verse 24, whenever our heart condemns us, he assumes that this is going to happen to you and I in the presence of God because he is holy, we are sinners, and our hearts are going to try to tell us that we cannot possibly belong to this holy God. But notice the transition that happens in verse 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have what? Confidence before God. How do you get from condemnation to confidence? That's the question. That's the, that's the huge question for me that separates those two verses. In fact, what you what you read in verse 21 is this beautiful and compelling picture of an assured believer who is no longer living under the yoke of the condemned. You have a beautiful picture of a believer who's no longer living under the tyranny of their faltering, disappointing performance. And I'm certain that many of you, just like I have this week, could draw a line between verse 19... In verse 20, between verses 20 and 21 and you're right there on the side of verse 20 and you're thinking, man, I'd love to be in verse 21. I'd love to have that kind of relationship with God where I'm confident in His presence. Now maybe there are some of you here this morning too who are a little bit cynical because you're just not sure if a relationship like that is even possible with God. Look, I'm fairly certain that many, many Christians are living lives of utter defeat before the presence of God, wondering if and when they're going to change and wondering worse yet if the Christian life is even worth it because they don't feel any different than they did a year ago or five years ago or maybe even ten years ago. They, They seem to be doing nothing but falling flat on their faces and living every single day disappointed and disillusioned in this thing called the Christian life and disillusioned with God himself because they don't know anything but frustration anything but lack of progress you see I think because I know this is true in my own life so many Christians have zero confidence in their relationship with God because well, frankly, they may have begun well enough by faith alone, but when it comes to walking out that relationship, they end up thinking that it all depends on them. But that just isn't true. So the question is, what about you? What about you? Are you, are you living... Are you living a life of condemnation before God and therefore a life that lacks fruit in Christ? Or are you living a life of confidence before God, tethered to Jesus, trusting in Him, receiving nourishment from Him, and bearing fruit for Him? John says that there is a different way to live. A different way to relate to God. That believers can, in fact, move from condemnation to confidence. The kind of confidence that looks like this. And I love that John points to prayer. What does he say? Verse, 22, verse 21, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask from him, we what? Receive. Whoa, all right, give me that blank check. (laughs) Y'all do know that this isn't a blank check, right? This isn't simply a blank check to get from God whatever we want. It's an indication of the kind of relationship we can have with God if we are confident of who we are in Christ and we live before God out of our relationship with Christ such that like Paul says in Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And if Christ is living his life through me, guess what? The things that I ask for are going to begin more, to sound more like the things Jesus would ask for. And when the things that I ask begin to sound more like the things Jesus would ask for, what's God going to do? Give me those things. He's going to answer those prayers. That's exactly what John says because the requests that are answered are tied to conditions. These conditions that are attached to our asking and receiving form the core of our relationship with God. Look at what he says. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him. circle the word, because, because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. The asking and the receiving are grounded in, based upon, and conditional upon keeping God's commandments and doing what pleases Him. Now, notice what John does in the text. He says, commandments, plural, and then he specifies one commandment with two parts that he's actually talking about. He says in verse 21, and this is God's commandment. Now, I find it interesting that he says, keep God's commandments plural. Then he says, God's commandments singular, but then he divides it into two parts. It's a little odd. But if we recognize that everything in God's word is there for a purpose, we'll see that it's essential. And this is the commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has Commanded us. Now why say command months and then command month, but divide it into two parts. Believing in the name of Jesus Christ and loving one another. Here's the reality. When you and I step foot into a relationship with the Lord Jesus, believing into his name, meaning believing into everything that his name represents the core result of that faith in Jesus is going to work itself out how? In love for one another. Basically, is John's way of saying there are two great commandments. Love God, love neighbor. They're not two different commandments. They're two sides of the exact same coin. In fact, they're so interconnected that you can't separate them. They are, in fact, one commandment. To have faith in Jesus, a real relationship with Christ, is to have Christ's own love flowing into us and ultimately what? Flowing through us. To believe in the name of God's Son is to identify by faith with All that Jesus is. And to entrust my life is to enter into a relationship with God the Father through God the Son. And it's in a real way to be hidden in the Son in such a way that you and I share his own relationship with the Father. This is what Paul often refers to as being in Christ. Being in Christ. It's often talked about as being in union with Christ. And see, Paul says, or rather John says here that our confidence before God is actually grounded in this relationship we have with Jesus. Our union with Christ is what enables us to have the kind of confidence before God that enables us to ask for and then receive whatever we ask from Him. Now, we're not not simply talking about praying in Jesus' name as some kind of magic formula. But the fact that as Christians we very often do pray in Jesus' name is is a picture that helps us get the idea. All of our prayers, all of our praying, all of our living before God is to be done in and through the presence of Christ, in and through the life of Christ, in and through Christ living his own life through us. Remember I said that this is exactly what Paul was talking about in Galatians earlier. In Galatians 2.20, Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now I hope you're getting the picture. When John takes the commandment and he splits it into two parts, he's saying in light of what he's already said about how we know love. Because Christ died for us. That if you and I have faith in Christ, if we've now been attached to Jesus who's the true vine and his life is flowing into us, then the life he lived is going to flow out of us. Which is a life of self-sacrificial love. Slowly but surely, the things that I desire will begin to become the things that Christ desires. His prayer to His Father begins to become my prayer to my Father, and I begin to see God answering my prayers because the things that I'm asking for are lining up with the things that Jesus was, would be asking for if He was living my life, when in fact, if I'm surrendering to him, guess what is happening? He is living his life through me. At the end of the day, what John says in his gospel is true. Apart from from Christ, I don't have any hope of living confidently before God. But in Christ, I have every hope of living confidently before God. Truth be told, apart from Christ, I, y'all, I can't maintain my hope or my faith in Christ or love in a Christ shaped way. When Jesus says in John fifteen five, "I am the vine; you are the branches." Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. I don't know, again, if y'all are like me, but um, I would like to change, and I would like to change yesterday. <laughs> do you feel the weight of your own remaining sin ever call out to the Lord and just ask Him whatever it is to take it away (laughs) or just remove it, preferably in an instant, preferably with as little pain and messiness as possible, and preferably without any effort or commitment on my part. Thank you very much. I have been guilty in my own life of of more than once simply praying, Lord, take this away. Lord, fix this. Lord, get me out of this. And while the desire to be um, rid of temptation is I I, I know a very good desire. Look, I got to confess to you all. I I have often wanted the fruit of, Without the root. I've often wanted the results. Without the abiding. And I think that's where we miss it. A lot of times. You you and I can boil it all down. And I've asked God more times than I can count. To wave his magic wand. And just to make it all go away. Without actively entrusting myself to Christ and making my home in Christ. that sound familiar? But here's what I want you to understand. Christ is not only our justification. He is not only the means by which we are forgiven and can stand righteous in the presence of God. Christ is also our sanctification. He's the one who makes us whole and holy. He's the one who sets us apart and through his Holy Spirit helps us to become all that he is as he lives his life through us. He's the one who sets us free from the penalty of sin. He's the one who sets us free from the power of And in John 15, 5, he says, abide in me, remain in me, make your home in me, and then you'll bear fruit. Look, I want you to understand what John's saying. He says, if our heart doesn't condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that you and I believe into the name of Jesus Christ, his son, and become so identified with and so intertwined in his own life that his life begins to flow through us. And this commandment to love one another becomes true in us because we're abiding in him. In other words, look, here's the deal. John is is inviting us in these verses to step off of the performance treadmill. I don't know how many of y'all, like me, get on that thing every single day and think, man, the only way that God's going to love me is if I keep running. The only way that God's going to accept me is if I keep running. The only way that God's going to approve of me is if I keep running. No. John says this is his commandment. Believe into the Lord Jesus. And through the Lord Jesus to then love one another. It is faith in Christ that frees us to look upon God as Father, the Father who sees all and loves me anyway. It is who we are in Christ that frees us to live before the face of God, knowing that my relationship with God is not based on my performance, but Christ's. I am hidden in Him. And if I'm hidden in Him then guess what? And this is an amazing thing. His status is my status. His sonship is my sonship. I'm free because of this relationship to trust my Father with all of my needs and to pray for those things which will bring Him the most glory. I'm free by the Spirit of Christ to call upon God as my Father. That's that's the final source of assurance that John points to in this text. Look in verse 24. He says, Whoever keeps God's commandments abides in him and he in them. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit he has given us. Now, that's an interesting verse, okay? Because John says, Whoever keeps his commandments abides in him and he in them... And by this we know that he abides in us. Now, what do you expect him to say? By this we know that he abides in us by our keeping of these commandments. That's not what he says. He says, by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. John is a model Shepherd, Because God is using John to show us that you and I cannot find our assurance in the keeping of the very commands that God lays down for us. Our assurance is based ultimately in something outside of ourselves. Something outside of our performance. So you and I have the internal witness of the Holy Spirit. To reassure us. At the end of the day, it is so good to know that my status before God is not based on my performance. This is actually a beautiful text. And and it it shows us Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And how the work of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit serve to reassure us that we are children of God. If you go back to the last text we looked at, in verse 16, and and I've marked this in my Bible, because I need to go back to these things, okay? Verse 16, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And that know is not just an intellectual knowledge, it's a knowledge of experience. So, by this you and I know what love is because Christ has loved us by giving us his own life. So there's the Son. There's the Son showing us that we're loved. And then in verse 19, by this, by this thing, we will know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. So we've got the Son who loved us enough to die for us. We've got the Father who says... I see you. I know everything about you. You're my child. And then, at the end of the passage, John says, By this we know that he lives in us. By what? The Spirit he's given us. So the Son loved us enough to die for us. The Father accepts us and receives us as his own children, even though we don't measure up. And the Spirit, what does the Spirit do? The Spirit is an internal witness that says, You belong to God. That is exactly what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. Listen to what he says in verses 12 through 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not according to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are what? Sons of God. For you did not receive the Spirit of slavery. Oh, to fall back into fear. That connects right back to what John said about living before God as a condemned person. And it picks right back up on what Paul said in Romans 8:1: for there is now what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, By whom we cry. Now he's picturing for us being in the presence of God. What is our cry through the Holy Spirit? What is it? Abba. Papa. Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with Christ in order that we may also be glorified with Christ. Now again, there at the end of that passage, Paul's talking about being identified with Christ. So it's that whole idea, again, of being united to him in his life, and his death, and his resurrection. It's that whole idea of him living his life through us, changing our desires, changing our perspectives. In the presence of the Holy Spirit, Confirming to our hearts that we are children of God. So, brothers and sisters, here's where I want you to hear. If you do indeed belong to God, then the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit want you to know it. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit don't want you to live in self-condemnation. They want you to live in such joyful fellowship with Him that you are receiving the love of Christ, the love of the Father, and the love of the Spirit, and you're able to live in the presence of God in such a way that what you ask for, you receive. That's a picture of of the kind of confidence that God wants us to live in and with. This is good news. It's good news for those of us who are deeply self-critical. Who are often paralyzed by... could walk right out those doors this morning and we could could go right back to the same yoke of condemnation that we've been living under believing the same old lies about who we are and more importantly about who you are believing the same old lies about the fact that well maybe Christ just doesn't love me Maybe the Father can't accept me. Maybe the Holy Spirit couldn't possibly dwell in me. God, there's rich truth here. Rich truth for your people here to receive this morning. To take our gaze upon our to take our gaze off of our self-condemning hearts and to put them on you and to be reminded today that our confidence is not ourselves. Our confidence is In the presence of the Spirit, through whom we cry out, Father. Our confidence is in the love of Christ who died for us. Our confidence is in a Father who knows everything about us and yet loves us anyway. Oh God, help us live into that and live it out with great joy before a watching world that is so stinking hopeless and searching for a home. God, we love you. Thank you for first loving us. May our praises reflect the hearts of joy you would have us to have. We ask these things in Jesus' name.